Three, two, one. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the InsideCarolina.com Coast to Coast Podcast. I'm Joey Powell. With me, as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, and we're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. And come on in, settle in, pull up your ear pods or AirPods or Beats or whatever it is you use to listen to us. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, check us out there too. Get close, get snuggled in, throw on your nicest, uh, nicest blanket. Get comfortable because we got our first episode of the season. Now the basketball is tipped off in Chapel Hill. Hubert Davis and the Tar Heels are off to a 2-0 start. We're going to talk to you about it on this episode, and we appreciate you being here. Remember, as always, rate review and if you have not subscribed please subscribe so that you can get all of the inside carolina content that you want that we put out for you you can get it sent directly to your device with me as always you know these two guys they're the reason you're here sean moran how are you doing well and you're actually on this coast so i guess this is just the coast podcast yeah i'm, I'm back traveling again but this time uh to chapel hill so was able to see the Brown game in person which was the first uh first game in chapel hill i've seen since 2013 so it was nice to be back Man, a lot of thing a lot of things have changed since you were in town. So I hope that was a <laughs> hope that was an enjoyable trip for you. Sherell, how you living, man? I'm good. No complaints. No complaints. That's that's a great start. So, guys, the first thing I want to talk about things got off to kind of I guess we anticipated that we would know what the starting lineups would be for the Tar Heels, but uh they won both games. I think Friday night's game against Brown was a little closer than most would have expected. Uh, I would argue that Brown was just hitting everything, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. But the first thing I want to start with is what are your first impressions of these two games? I'll start with you, Sean, since uh, since you're getting ready to experience some some serious uh, wasted time on a jet. So tell me what your first impressions of the season were. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, going in, there there obviously was a lot of a lot of questions. I think there, there are still a lot of questions, but definitely some some answers or insights into what we will see earlier or uh, I, I guess coming up. And last podcast, we talked about the guard play. And I think, you know, seeing Caleb Love uh, have a very strong game, game one, and then R.J. Davis having a very strong game two, I think is definitely a positive sign going forward. So. I think really the guard play for me was the one thing I was watching. I think uh, Armando Baycott, uh, you could probably pencil him as being uh, the one sure thing. Um, you know, from the small forward position, I think that that was probably the biggest surprise of, of seeing Leakey um, and how he's played so far. But I think, uh, you know, as the competition ramps up, I think there'll still be a lot of, a lot of changes uh, yet to come. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is unique that we saw some different starting lineups and, and again, the talent is obviously there, so you've seen that in some uh, some of the little box score action, and, and we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Sherelle, what were your first thoughts of the season? Yeah, I think it goes back to the press conference uh, the day before the first game, and that's when Hubert Davis kind of, I want to say it was a bomb, but he dropped on people that he was going to rotate his starting lineup based yeah. upon the previous game's defensive player of the game, and we had not heard that in the lead-up to um, him, you know, starting the season um, I'm sure he knew about it I'm sure he talked to his staff about it but he hadn't let it out yet and so that really changes exactly how kind of you look at the team for one you know that there's not going to be necessarily a 100% sure starting lineup every single game that he's willing to rotate rotate that which is a change from his predecessor and a change for all of us who cover and, and watch uh, UNC basketball and then the other thing for me I think is just that the rotation is so so tight already um, seven guys 
have played over 40 minutes. And then, you know, basically no one else has really played that much. So you, there's a tight seven-man rotation right now with uh, Love, Manic, Davis, Baycott, Garcia, Walton, and Black. So that's a little surprising. Um, I, I knew that because he's a first-year head coach and he wants to get all his guys experienced and they got some tough games coming up that maybe he would shorten it. But I, I didn't think it would be to this point where Caleb Love has already played almost 70 total minutes. So right at 35 minutes a game for Caleb Love. Um, that's a little surprising. And, and that was eye-opening for me in the first two games. Yeah, so let's stay here a second. And let's, uh, let's kind of get into some of the minute distribution. Right off top, I think you make a great point about Caleb Love. You know, he played, uh, he, he played extensively both games, um, 31 against Loyola uh, and then 37 against Brown. And I don't even I didn't even remember him being off the court against Brown. So uh, I do think that is a twist. I, I do think that's that is like you said, it's probably Hubert Davis trying to get his best guys out there. But I would say until probably a month ago, the thought of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis playing together uh, and then playing together a lot would be something that we weren't really expecting. Do you think that's something he sticks with, Sherelle? I mean, it's. It's just a small sample size, but it's been, it's been such a heavy lean in this small sample size towards those two guys getting a, a most of the burn. Well, with the gift of hindsight, you can go back and, and kind of read some of the things he said. And I mean, one of the first things he said, in addition to what we've talked about all, you know, over and over again, uh, was that he liked two, two ball handlers on the court at the same time. He liked two lead guards. I think he maybe said that in his first or second interview. Um, so maybe we should have listened to him then and uh, realized that maybe he was projecting a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's here to stay because uh, if you look at what they've done, I mean, they have 18 total assists between them and I believe only four turnovers, uh, which is just a dramatic change from last year. Obviously, the competition is going to get you know, ramped up here in a little bit. Starting Tuesday, College of Charleston isn't a walkover. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I think he wants two guys who can kind of control the game and who are calm to always be able to handle and create their own shot. Cause at times that was an issue for UNC last year when they had um, their starting five last year, I think love Walton leaky um, Brooks and usually Baycott. There really is only one player on, on there who can really create his own shot. So I think having two in the backcourt who can do that um, enables his offense to really get going. Now there are trade-offs that I think he's making, but I I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. And I absolutely love seeing those guys shoot as well as they have early on because if nothing else, we saw how much uh, a lack of confidence hurt Caleb Love early in the season last year and kind of really, I guess, hindered him getting going to the level that he probably wanted and definitely to the level that the coaching staff and, and fans probably expected. Sean, how do you feel like this this backcourt uh, back play is going to go? Specifically, I, I want to talk about uh, talk about the, how it's changed with Kerwin Walton and Anthony Harris. You know, Harris obviously wasn't – wasn't as getting as many moments as, as Walton or getting as many minutes as Walton was. But how do you think that's going to play with those two guys? Because I feel like Harris could be a serviceable backup point guard, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's Hubert's goal. How, how do you see this playing out, or, or what are your visions for how this might materialize with regard to who's behind Caleb and RJ? Yeah, uh, well, it's a, it's a great question. I think from, from Harris's perspective, you know, he got in, for a short stint in the first half. And I thought he did provide some defensive uh, energy. I think in the first half, uh, Wojcik was, you know, he was probably the most confident player on the court uh, from, from either side in that first half. And uh, at least for those few minutes Harris was in, I thought he, he disrupted um, kind of that confidence for a little bit. Um, but offensively, 
I think it's still a question mark of how does he how does he fit in, but I still think from just being a, a useful person, just due to I mean he when he comes in he's bringing athleticism, strength, and quickness that you know I think almost goes unmatched from from some of the other players. So he does bring a different dimension, but so far, uh, you know if if you're not getting in kind of against Loyola and Brown, now obviously Brown was a competitive game, it's going to be a little harder to get in against your Purdue's of the world. But I still think. Uh, you know, trying to find minutes for him uh, to come in off the bench will be important, especially to change the pace. And then Kerwin, you know, I, I know Kerwin's skill set of shooting was much more needed last year where there weren't really any shooters on the court. Uh, obviously, this year you could be playing with three to five at the same time. But, uh, you know, going against Brown, he played 16 minutes. I know defensively, you know, that's kind of been the knock on him. But I still think shooting wise, they're going to need to find more, more opportunities for him because uh, I mean, shooting wise, he's one of the top players in the country. And I think that will be, that will be necessary, you know, especially as a competition ramps up um, defensive, defensive deficiencies, you know, almost uh, secondary for that. Yeah. And I, I think that I'm glad you pointed out the, def uh, the defensive side of things, because after we saw against, after what we saw against Brown, I, I think there's a lot of folks with some major question marks about the defensive end, uh, defensive end of the court for for this team. Uh, Sean, we'll stay with you. How does UNC fix that, right? And I know it's, I know there's a lot of new things at play here. It's new new personnel. Um, I, I think the the tempo was great offensively, but you can't let your opponent shoot sixty percent and a half. And I think I, I think Brown got shot sixty percent for the first half, only had one three pointer and still got to 50 points. Like, that just can't happen. That's hard to do against air, right? And and so to see Brown do that, and I realize, again, new personnel, uh, you know, Hubert's got them switching, or got them staying home on screens a lot. Um, that's not something that we've seen before. How do you feel like uh, it kind of was was Friday night an aberration, or do you think that's that's really a problem this team may have is, is stopping the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be uh, kind of probably probably something we are continuously talking about throughout the throughout the season. Uh, you know, obviously, some of the defensive schemes are are different. You mentioned uh, the pick and roll. Um, that's obviously obviously one thing in terms of the drop coverage that they've been been doing a lot. Um, but I mean, other times you saw just you know guys guys going to the wrong wrong player. Um, you know, help help not coming quickly enough in the paint. Uh, but you also don't have a shot blocker on the team. So that was one of the nice things about either Sharp or Kessler last year was you had a dominant shot blocker to kind of erase some of those mistakes at times. And, and this year you don't really, I mean, Armando, but he's not really a shot blocker. So you really don't have that at all. Um, and then, at the, you know, the other thing is just sometimes they were, you know, getting beat pretty easily off the, off the perimeter. And one guy we haven't talked about is, is McCoy. You know, I think when he committed, I saw him as kind of a four, three, like more of a small ball four. And obviously he's been playing straight three uh, through the two games, minimal minutes, the second game, but I was surprised to see him get, get beat off the dribble as easily as he did, um, you know, that second game. So if they're, they're going to continue to play him at the three, then that's going to be something that teams try to attack. Uh, right now, I'd say love is the, you know, similar to last year, the strongest on ball defender. And they're going to have to just kind of get, um, you know, much, much, much improved in terms of how they're defending and, and cutting off the ball before it gets into the paint. 
I'm glad you pointed out dropping two. That was something that I just at least watching as Brown, I'm I'm scratching my head like how are they going to keep doing this because you know Brown could be an amazing offensive team, but I dare say there's going to be much more efficient offensive teams, especially guys with ball in the hand, ball in their hand as as UNC gets into um, the ACC season this year. Sherelle, talking about defense, um, I want to share something from our guy. Adrian Atkinson, if nobody's following him on Twitter, then you don't like basketball, but he's at Freeport Kid on Twitter. He shared a stat that really just, you know, kind of jumped out and, and punched me in the face, and it said, through two games, Carolina has an efficiency margin of 57.3 with Leaky Black on the court per 40 minutes and a minus 21.6 with him on the bench per 40 minutes. They've been 28 points per 100 better offensively, and 51 points per 100 better defensively with Leaky Black in the lineup. So you talked earlier about the bomb that Hubert dropped about rotating the the, the starting lineups, trying to give some, some credence to the defensive player of the game and give them a starting spot. Leaky Black starting I don't think was something any of us saw, and yet, you know, here he was against Brown, and uh, I'm pretty sure he got the start against uh, against Loyola as well. First off, where did this come from? And second, is Leaky the – again, like I feel like what I see is not really matching those numbers. And, again, a small sample set here, but is Leaky the answer for this team defensively or is, it, is he at least a key for this team defensively? So there's a great thread on the premium message board um, that just like it says a tweet by Adrian Atkinson. And basically the conversation is – um, talking about why Leaky is in this position. And I think our readers and subscribers are very smart. And so I'm not saying anything that they don't already know. Basically, it seems like Leaky's skill set fits in better with this team because there are two other shooters shooting at a high level mm-hmm. and then two other guys capable of shooting at a high level. Uh, right now, the two uh, transfer bigs who are, who are playing a lot are only two for 11 from three. So they haven't even hit their stride yet. And North Carolina is still scoring, you know, 83 plus points in both games. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is, that's telling about how well Caleb Love and RJ Davis and Armando Baycott are playing. But the point is, is that when Kerwin Walton last year, they, they really, he was the only threat, the literally the only perimeter threat they had offensively. So, you know, the minutes were going to come from a combination of Leakey and then RJ Davis some too, when he was playing the two, which is where he played at mostly last year. This year with RJ Davis at the two and with him, I've already made, I think he's already made seven threes uh, this season and Caleb loves shooting 40% from three. Um, you know, it's, it's a situation where Leakey can say, okay, well, I don't need to force any offense. I, I can take my in rhythm pull up jump shot, which he's always, he's always hit that it's when he tries to do a little too much. That's been an issue for him. But when he does that um, and he, you know, he plays great defense, he's six, eight with length. So when he does that, um, it really gets the team going. And I think what people forget is that Leakey was recruited to the UNC as a point guard. And, you know, he played some there, uh, you know, each of his first two years before kind of being exclusively at the three as a junior. And so he did, still has some of those instincts, um, and so that's where you see him with with the you know the wraparound passes, whipping across court, you know driving and dishing. That's what he does well because he's not he's not an aggressive scorer by nature. His score his by nature he's a facilitator. He just hasn't done it 
uh, to the point where I think he can get minutes as a facilitator, if that makes any sense. And so now with the way they're playing, when you have shooters spread all across this court and you have all this space, I think it's better for him. Now, the the opposite, I guess the counter to that is it's been two games. And uh, the first game wasn't great competition. The second game probably wasn't great competition, but they played really well. Let's see this trend kind of continue um, as the schedule gets tougher. But through two games, I think, you know, he's doing exactly what he needs to do. He's found something that anchors him to the starting lineup and, and to, um, you know, play meaningful minutes in the top seven. And to your point, as a facilitator, when you've got other guys around you that can hit open jump shots, you know, playing a facilitator from the three spot is going to absolutely be something a lot of other teams couldn't prepare for. Uh, you go back to Theo Pinson and um, buddy of mine that went to the Loyola game with me. Uh, you know, we were talking about, hey, if if Leakey could just be something along the likes of Theo Pinson where he gets seven, five, and five a game, I think that's a huge win for North Carolina. Uh, and then, you know, doing it from the, the, the three spot, I think is is something that will add another element to this offense. Am I oversimplifying? Sean, I'll, I'll let you guys do that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I know we talked about that with Theo a lot, um, you know, especially when, when he was putting up, you know, kind of the, those near triple doubles at times. But, um, you know, I think in the final minutes, Leakey definitely had a, a big impact because, once again, the rebounding uh, is not as strong this year. Uh, so when you have now, you know, the, it, it's necessary for the small forward to contribute on the boards, and he did get – get a big one uh, defensively and, and made some other uh, good plays towards the end. But I think for him right now, uh, you know, towards in the second half offensively, Brown was really started to sag off of him. Um, and that started to clog the paint up, which a lot of teams did last year. It just came later in the Brown game. Um, and then, you know, there was other times when they were doubling Armando in the post and he would kick it and you're trying to find, okay, who's the, who's the open man. Sometimes it was him in the corner, which would normally be an open shot. Uh, you know, the one I'm thinking about did lead to the open RJ three, uh, but at the same time, he needs to continue to make quick decisions of, okay, if I'm not going to shoot the three, I need to drive quickly and keep the defensive defense off pace. Um, so if you can cont continue to do that, I think it, it helps, but I'm still, uh, you know, the jury is still out for me, especially against good competition and, and seeing how teams are going to, drop coverage and how that affects everybody else. Yeah, if he's being put on self-check, that's that's a different animal. That's a different conversation for a different day. And I, I would say just defensively, the other thing is that, you know, it's McCoy. I, I, think, I think what we thought was entering this season is that you have Walton, who's, you know, kind of a dynamic two slash three. You have McCoy, who we think is a very good defensive four three. And then you have Leakey, who's kind of in the middle. And we thought that if, uh, you know, McCoy could bring a little bit of both, that he would get those minutes. And right now, it seems like Hubert Davis has more trust in Walton giving the offense when needed. Um, and and what, I don't want to be too hard on Walton, because he, he there were a couple of times where guys just hit tough shots over him. Um, yeah. But then with with Leakey, um, he's 6'8", like I said. I keep saying that. People just forget how tall he is and how long he is. And um, it's very difficult. Um, to shoot over him and it's very difficult to get by him with his reach. Um, so anyway, the point was that it seemed like McCoy was kind of the guy in the middle and that because he gave a little bit of both that he would get the time, but it seems Hubert wants to 
at some point, you know, just get Kerwin's offense. And then at other points, he wants Leakey's rebounding and Leakey's ability to facilitate and push the ball. Um, so that that is surprising to me, too, um, that he's kind of – he's using Leakey and Walton how we thought he would use just McCoy. Offense for defense is not something that Tar Heel fans are going to be foreign to, uh, especially ones that have been around for a while. All right, let's take a, take a quick second talk about our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. Sean, I'm going to kick this to you because – you were in town this week. You made a stop on East Franklin Street. Where did you go, Sean? What did you buy, Sean? Tell us about it. Well, I was I was quick to let you know I did go to Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Um, I did buy a Carolina basketball T-shirt, uh, so looking forward to to sporting that. There's a lot of other stuff uh, I did want to get that uh, you know <laughs> my my wife wanted to to keep it uh, <laughs> keep it to one item, so I, I did get a T-shirt, but. Um, you know, a side note, I did enjoy seeing the Christine Lilly, uh, my cousin-in-law, uh, her jersey hanging in the Johnny nice. T-shirt. So that was cool. But uh, after hearing all the ads, it was nice to be in Johnny T-shirt and, and help support them. Well, you know, you were only allowed one item this time, but they have this thing called the Internet now. <laughs> you can go to JohnnyT-shirt.com, like I tell folks every week on the show hit up whatever the new deals they have. They always have a, a, a new sale item section. They've got new items that are into the store. Just hit it up. Get more items. Get more things. All of the things you wish you could have got. Your cousin-in-law, Christine Lilly shirt, which those are sharp. They've got one for her, Mia Hamm, and Heather O'Reilly. They're really, really sharp. UNC women's soccer throwbacks. Johnny T-Shirt's got them. Hit them up. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. They support Inside Carolina. We want you to support them. Take a quick break. Let the National Guys drop some ads in here. We'll be right back to talk a little bit about uh, more about last week's UNC wins, 83-67 over Loyola, 94-87 over Brown. And we'll talk a little bit about some minute distribution of what's coming up next week. Stick around for the Coast to Coast podcast. Hey, guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. And I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light. It's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned, and it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. What is up? Thanks for sticking around. We appreciate you listening to, downloading, or however it is you're getting us. We're thankful you're here. Coast to Coast Podcast from InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. With me, Cheryl McMillan, Sean Moran. Guys, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of the backcourt play, the the new rotations that we did not expect to see. We expect to see new rotations. We did not expect to see the starting lineups, I think, that we saw. And I think we've been a little perplexed at some of the, the minute distribution. Let's stay there on minutes. Um, usually, Tar Heel fans would be very accustomed to seeing Roy Williams playing 10 and 11 guys uh, this early in the season, mainly because he's trying to get – uh, his young guys to kind of get some of the the newness off. Uh, he's trying to see who works with what combination, who fits where. We didn't really see that. And, and Sherelle mentioned earlier, you know, it was really pared down early, which 
uh, was a bit of a shocker. And again, a, a stretch from from the previous coaching staff's typical routine. Not that we're not going to see Hubert do things differently, but I didn't expect to see that. I don't think you guys did either. Does it perplex you that we didn't see many minutes for Dontre Styles, Justin McCoy, and we already talked about Anthony Harris, so I'll kind of skip that a little bit. But do you think that that's, that's something that's going forward? Or do you think that the new coach was just kind of playing what felt right at the time? Sure, I'll come to you first. I thought it would be eight. So I thought McCoy would be the eighth, and I thought that would be kind of the initial rotation. So his – his lack of inclusion in the lineups has, has been the biggest surprise to me thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's going to come a time when they'll play a team who maybe has that kind of uh, new age small ball four, um, who might be a tough cover for the other bigs where McCoy gets more minutes. Uh, I think it was Greg Barnes who brought it up uh, in a podcast. He was like, well, what if Hubert Davis is, is much like, you know, someone like Bill Belichick, not saying he's as good of a coach, but saying um, he game. He, yeah, but he game plans week to week. So what if it's a situation where uh, we'll, we'll talk about Charleston? They play a much quicker tempo than the other two teams that UNC has played thus far. Mm-hmm. What if he says, well, I want X player because X player is good in, in high tempo games and he changes his lineup. And then they play a team with two kind of, you know, burly seven footers. And he says, you know what? I need Garcia and I need Baycott to play a bunch of minutes in this game. So I'm curious to see if, if that's what happens. And I think we've already seen a little bit of that, of him kind of um, uh, specialization, I think is what we can call it moving forward. I think we've seen a little bit of that already uh, with how he's rotated Black and Walton. And I don't think it, it's it would be a shock if he did that further down the roster with guys like Styles um, and McCoy and even Harris. Yeah, and just going back to the specific minutes that we're referencing for McCoy, it was 10 in the Loyola game, uh, six against Brown. Uh, we talked about you know, Anthony Harris not scratching. We had three minutes, roughly three minutes each game for uh, for Styles um, in each game, I think. So, uh, you know, again, not what we are used to seeing, not saying that's bad or good. Sean, are there any uh, peculiarities among the minute distribution that jump out at you that you think will probably change, or do you kind of feel like Sherelle does? And I think it's a great point about – you know, deploying guys based on, on, on who he's going up against, or he being Huber Davis. They definitely have the depth and the player ability to kind of game, you know, almost match up uh, based on the team's, you know, the opponent's strengths and weaknesses, which is, which is a positive, um, you know, going into halftime down against Brown and then really having to work the whole half uh, to climb back and get on top and then, you know, keep the lead in the final minutes definitely reduced, um, you know, some minutes for maybe a McCoy or, or styles or somebody else to, to get in. So I think the, the closeness of that game, um, definitely played a factor, but right now you're going on the road, uh, and then you're playing Purdue. So, you know, this, this week, number two is probably not another week where you're going to see a whole lot of changes. I could, I could see, you know, a little bit maybe from McCoy or styles, uh, or Walton, for that matter, but I don't, I don't think you're going to see anything drastic in week number two. All right, so speaking of week number two, this week, this week being Tuesday night, 8.30, at College of Charleston, true row game. Uh, Cheryl, talked to it, Cheryl talked about it a little bit. Uh, Sean, you mentioned it too, that you know CFC likes to play a little up-tempo. Well, Tar Heels get that on Tuesday, and not to be outdone on Saturday at Mohegan Sun, they're playing against Purdue at 4 p.m. For Purdue has dropped 96 and 92 in their first two games. Uh, we talked about the defense glaring deficiencies uh, against Brown. Is this going to be an old school kind of run and shoot first one to 90 wins type game uh, in both of these games this coming this week, Sean? I mean, I think uh, 
from starting with Charleston first right now, they're, you know, two get two, three games in they're number two in tempo, a uh, new coach and Pat Kelsey from Winthrop. So they're, they're obviously adapting to his, his style of play. Uh, so that, that one's going to be an up and down game. Um, I, I think, you know, they beat Loyola Maryland by seven or eight at home. Um, you know, and they have some, some talented guys, but at least preseason projections have them kind of in that, you know, four to six range in the CAA. So um, granted, we probably would have said the same thing about Brown going into that game. But, um, you know, I, I think that one will be a fast paced game. And you mentioned Purdue. They've been they've been scoring a lot um, as well in the 90s. I, I think that one I could see that one potentially, um, you know, with, with the talent on both sides that it, it slows down in the second half a little bit, just because I think at that point, it, it should be a competitive game and you should be, you know, almost kind of going blow for blow uh, with, with the, with the talent that both, both teams have. So, you know, I think it will be fast paced coming up, but it'll provide two very different challenges. One being on the road, you know, a true road game for the first time. And then the second one playing, you know, what could be, uh, you know, really a championship contender, you know, with the bigs and Jay Nivey that Purdue has. How much did it pain you to say championship contender about a Big Ten team this early in the year? <laughs> uh, it pained me. I can, you know, I'll throw – I don't mind it as much for Purdue, but when it comes to the other teams, then it, then it really gives me some, uh, some heartache. Yeah, it's Iowa and Wisconsin and Indiana, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> that really make you, uh, make you pain. Correct. Shirelle, I'm throwing you a curveball. You didn't know I was going to ask this question, but what can UNC do to beat Purdue – on Saturday, and don't just say score more points. <laughs> I think uh, Caleb Love and probably uh, Leaky Black have to have among their best defensive games of their careers because Jay Ivey is, I don't want to use the lingo, but he is a problem, as they say, Joey. He is a problem. And uh, that's a great opportunity for, for Caleb because there's going to be NBA scouts watching that game, a lot of them, because Ivy is an NBA guy and Caleb has been on the radar for some time. Um, so that's an opportunity for him, not just offensively, but to show that he can kind of cut the head off of the snake, so to speak, of Purdue. Um, because, you know, Travion Williams gets the headlines, but I think Ivy is, is the more important player, honestly, for Purdue. Um, so that's, I, I, to me, that's the biggest thing, is if you can limit Ivy, I think you you uh, you limit everything they can do. That That's how their entire offense runs. Um, so that to me is the key is Leakey and, and Caleb, if they can limit him to, you know, below 50% shooting, um, keep him from getting into the lane, then I think they have, you know, there's a chance they could win the game. I'm not saying they're going to, but there's a chance that that's where it starts for me, especially considering how Brown attacked, you know, everyone, not, it wasn't just Caleb. It wasn't just Leakey. It wasn't just Kerwin. It was everyone at some point got beat off the dribble for a layup into the lane. So, um, you hope Tuesday night gets them back in into a good defensive lather, and then they have a great performance on Saturday. Well, and I also would point out the uh, the matchup inside between the bigs between Baycott and Zach Eady. Uh, he's had Eady has had uh, close to a double double for his first two games, and that should be a very much a premier matchup between two horses in the paint. Um, Eady also a problem, as you pointed out, Sherelle. All right, boys, anything else we want to get before we get out of here for this first in-season edition of the Coast to Coast? Sean? Uh, I'll bring up Dawson Garcia just because we haven't really talked about him. Um, I think 
you know, it was pretty, pretty quiet uh, through the majority of the game against Brown. He did come to life in the second half when they started going to him in the post, uh, scored several times in a row. But, you know, as Sherelle mentioned, both the big, both the new bigs haven't uh, kind of shown their shooting prowess. And I think one thing for Garcia, it looked like both of his two threes were a little, little rushed um, against Brown. And I, you know, I think trying to almost run some plays for him could be helpful. You know, at Marquette, he didn't really set, uh, he wasn't known for setting strong, hard screens. He was usually trying to, to roll, you know, as soon as the, the ball handler went by him. But I think the better screens he can set, you know, the more open he'll be. Um, and in terms of where he likes it, it's usually on that left left wing, which I don't think he's, he's really gotten any from there. Um, so, I, you know, I think to try to get Dawson involved early instead of having them force some shots will be important, uh, you know, coming up this week. On, on the transfers too, Sean, I, I, that's a great point. I think they both um, have shown their versatility because as we said, neither of them have shot well from three, but they've still found ways to, to really help out. Uh, you know, obviously that stretch in the second half was pretty much all, you know, all Armando and to some degree, Caleb, and then RJ finished it off. But in between that, there were a couple of big shots that Dawson hit. Um, one was foot on the line three from kind of that right wing. And then a, a really, so yeah, with the guy in his face. face. Yeah. And then, you know, the spin move where he missed a layup, but went immediately went back and got his own rebound. So um, I just think those kinds of things are important. Manic, same thing. Um, in the first half, he really had his offense going. And uh, a larger point, I guess, coming from that is that they already had four guys score 20 points in a game through two games. So R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, Armando Baycott, and Brady Manick have already scored at least 20 points in the game. That tells you um, the kind of offensive firepower they have. And again, the two fresh, uh, excuse me, the two transfer bigs aren't shooting well from three. No. Um, so I, I think this team's offensive ceiling might be higher. And we thought, I don't want to take too much from two games against solid competition, but we see that scoring isn't going to be an issue for them, I don't think. And that's the first time we can really say that since, you know, the Kobe White year. Because um, the last two seasons, there there have been moments, but it's mostly been kind of a slog, trying to trying to get points, which is very odd for a North Carolina offense. Um, so that, that's something I've noticed. Really, is just if, if they can play defense, I think this team does have a, a chance to win a lot of games. Yeah, and, and you guys are the analysts here. I'm not trying to tr- trying to steal any thunder, but I absolutely found myself watching these two games and saying, if this team can be greater than the sum of its parts, and it's got some really good parts, that I think will dictate how far they go in March and into April. Uh, because, the, again, you guys have, have just really laid it out well in the last few months as these guys have committed as we started kind of teasing into the season. But there are some parts here. And, Sherelle, your point is a great one in that four different guys dropping 20 says a lot in two games. UNC has not had anything close to that uh, in quite some time. So uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see. Sherelle, you got any parting shots before we get out of here? I think that was it. That was my parting shot. Four, four right. guys, 20 points in, in two games. All right. Hearing no others, I move that we hereby wrap this episode of the Coast to Coast podcast. Uh, I always appreciate you guys being here. I, I think it's it's I don't know. I've kind of gotten this into where this is like a, a recap on my week is talking to y'all. And, and it just happens to be <laughs> awesome that we can turn it into a podcast. And hopefully the subscribers of Inside Carolina are still enjoying it and appreciating getting a chance to hear it. Um, you may be curious as to why we didn't talk about recruiting this week. Well, we did our signing day preview last week. Signing day came and went pretty much exactly as we told you it would. No surprises, and there's been no movement since then as far as new offers to uh, the 23 class. So 
as always, if any of that happens, we'll be sure to let you guys know. But you didn't hear any recruiting talk this week because there was, wasn't anything really to talk about. Um, but we'll be back next week, as always, uh, to talk with you about how the Tar Heels fared against College of Charleston on the road and how they fared against Purdue up in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut. So appreciate you guys being here. Remember, rate and review us, five stars only. Uh, if you like what we're doing, give us that five star. If you don't like what we're doing, let us know. We want to be better. Uh, but for Sean Moran, Cheryl McMillan, those guys always bringing the heat. I'm just Joey Powell. We appreciate you joining us on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.